You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning, everybody. Well, good morning. Good frosty morning. It is. To pop the top on uh, frosty Dr. Pepper. So life is good. Ready to go. Um, yeah. What's happening? How, how did uh, that? Go ahead. We, we another inch and a half of snow yesterday, and we on top of the 10 inches we got the other day. But that's very unusual for eastern Tennessee. And you look out, I feel like I'm back in New England. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. You guys have had, you know, you don't usually have that much snow in Tennessee um, down there no. in the valley. Next weekend at this time, it's supposed to be 60. So <laughs> go figure. <laughs> that's crazy, crazy, crazy. crazy. Yeah. Well, crazy it doesn't crazy. allow us to do much in terms of working uh, outside unless you're in a nice warm garage somewhere. Yeah, you so know. So how was your show? Still... I'm trying to ask you, but, but I'm going to get it out. <laughs> your show last weekend, how did that go? Oh, we had the uh, Cabin Fever show here at the Knoxville Expo Center. It's a two-and-a-half-day event. And, you know, I mean, it's mostly, uh, you know, mod- modified cars and, Cobra replicas, but there's there's quite a few uh, of the 200 cars indoor. There was, you know, a good handful of original type cars, and I uh, I volunteered to man the AACA booth of Eastern Tennessee, and over the course of the weekend, we picked up uh, four new members. So, you know, not a lot, but uh, we welcomed those four, and every little bit helps. So uh, a lot of people picked up, you know, the brochure and the uh, application form, and they took it with them. We had a uh, little TV screen behind us of the event that's held in Townsend, uh, Tennessee, each summer. So uh, there was some interest there, but, you know, like I said, not a lot, because a lot of it has to do with, you know, street rods and hot rods. Last year at that show, I had the crankshaft booth, and we did very poorly. People would come up, look at the magazine, and go, there's no hot rods. Not interested. So it is what it is. But, you know, we got four new members. So that's good. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, I mean, time for an unapologetic uh, promotion of AACA. There is no larger club catering to more wide-ranging automotive background than AACA none. It is the largest, biggest tent in the collector car hobby, period, without question. 56,000-odd members, 350 regions and chapters across the globe. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, we've got a a big show coming up in Puerto Rico, of all places, um, this spring. That's going to be a great show. They always do a great job over there in uh, San Juan. But uh, AACA really covers everything. 
and there's the Library and Research Center, which literally has millions and millions of reference material pieces in that collection. Could tell you just, you can find information on just about any car ever built, uh, particularly in the U.S. As you know, folks, quite a few people came up to the booth, and uh, you know, middle-aged people, guys in their forties and fifties, not one, maybe even sixties, and they've been in the car hobby for a while. Never heard of the AACA, which is you know alarming. But that tells me we're not doing enough of marketing out there to promote the club, which needs to be, you know, rectified. But, uh, yeah, it's just sad to hear that. They never heard of it, or they did, but, you know, they're not interested in joining for whatever reason, and, you know. So we got to do a little better job of marketing ourselves. Yeah. Well, you know, that and people don't pay attention, too. I mean, certainly you can always do better marketing. Um Right. But people don't pay pay attention. Uh, it, ten years or so ago, I was at the ACA Hershey Fall meet, and you know there are signs everywhere, banners, signs, everything. And so, two guys are talking as they're walking onto the show field, and I'm listening to their conversation. And one of them asked the other, says, "What is this ACA thing?" Oh. Don't worry about them. They're just trying to take over the car show. You know, <laughs> so it's kind of like you know, this. People just don't it, pay attention. No, they don't. Because I had someone the other day uh, contact me. Says uh, my friend's been telling me about this magazine, Crankshaft, and uh, it sounds really good. He goes, I never heard of it before. And he's in the AACA, and I said, you know, do you get the uh, club magazine? He goes, yeah. I said, we got a half page ad in there the last two months. Oh, I didn't see it. <laughs> a half-page yeah. color head. You don't see it? I mean, what are you looking at? I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people don't pay attention. So, yeah, you get to oh, work well. twice as hard. So the best communication is word of mouth. Yeah. If you've not been a member of AACA, I urge you to try it out. Membership goes on a calendar year. We're still in January. Join up now. You get the full year of the magazine and access to the library, the shows, and everything else. And speaking of shows, uh, April 4th through 6th in Charlotte, North Carolina, we've got the AACA Zenith Award Competitions on the 4th. We've got the AACA Nationals on the 5th and the AACA Grand National on the 6th of April, all going to be there at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, and it's going to be free to get in, free, free, free. And it's going to be great, uh, going to be a great event. The AACA Grand National is one of the best car shows in the entire country every year. And you can come in for free. You don't have to pony up. $200 plus another 50 or 60 to eat while you're there. It's free. Got to buy a yeah, hot you know, dog. This, you know, but... You know, if, if you live in the Southeast uh, and you're into, you know, authentic, original-type cars, not hot rods, not customs, but original automobiles, uh, 
May 18th in Duluth, Georgia, which is just outside of Atlanta, is the celebration of authentic cause. And now that show's now going to be in its, I think, third year. And it's been growing slowly. So we would love to have people come out and support that event. It's called the Celebration of Authentic Cars, May 18th, Duluth, Georgia. Check it out on their website. And it's all original automobiles. And not late model stuff, too. Uh, you know, cars from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And uh, untouched originals, a lot of unrestored cars. So that sounds like a cool meet. Maybe you ought to uh, it is. get in the truck and come on down and we'll go. Yeah, we might have to do that. Uh, Greg's been doing a good job with that, really enthusiastic. Yep. And it's nice to see someone focusing on, on some of the early stuff. It's still out there. It's just oftentimes yeah. people just don't feel as if, you know... When people go, they don't want to feel like the skunk at the lawn party. So, you know, the early cars sometimes feel out of place amongst all of the late model Chargers and Mustangs and so forth at some of the some of the area shows. So, you know, we really want to push this a bit so that uh, Greg's successful with this and it continues and uh, provides a good uh, platform. Yeah, you know what show I've been thinking of going to, which I've never been to, is the Pate Swap Meet in Fort Worth, Texas. It's April 25th to the 27th. And uh, I, I keep hearing it's like, you know, uh, the Carlisle of the South. And uh, I've been wanting to go there for a long time as well. I've just never made it. Well, I'm thinking of taking out a crankshaft booth. So mm. if, if you want to pay for I'll allow you to, uh, you know, help me sell magazines. How's that? <laughs> You're always such a sweet guy, always coming up with great <laughs> deals for me. <laughs> you buy the booth, I'll let you help me sell magazines. Great, great deal. You great know, deal. <laughs> and on the way from Knoxville to uh, Fort Worth, we could stop in Birmingham at the uh, Barber Motorsports Museum and Motorcycle Museum. We could stop in Murfreesboro, south of Nashville. Uh, to go to the Lane Museum. I mean, there's a lot of points in between that, uh, you know, we could take in. So uh, let me know. Get some permission from your wife, and uh, maybe we'll go. You know, uh, I've never been to the Lane Museum either. They bring a car to the Greenbrier Concourse regularly, but I have yet to get out there to see his museum. So me neither. And I live only two and a half hours away. I just haven't gotten there so uh we need to talk about doing some of these trips and uh maybe we could do some radio shows from those events that could be pretty cool ah yeah we could do some on location i think we could handle that you know life's too short you got to get out there and have fun so uh yeah there's so many events yeah so many events so many great things to do um and so many great people to meet that's that's the one thing i have to say about my time spent in the hobby, I've met so many fantastic people, particularly through the AACA, but just in general. You know, I know people in every corner of the country now, uh, just strictly because of the car hobby, and internationally as well. And uh, it's just been so good to me, you know, uh, like the... 
Saturday Night Live guy. I mean, baseball been very, very good to me. Automobile been very, very good to me. <laughs> right. Now, are, are you a member of the Horseless Carriage Club of America? I am not. I have. I, I should be, oh. particularly now since I have that 1910 Hudson. But uh, Okay, right. I have so not. I'm a member. And even though I don't own a brass type automobile, and you do, uh, the Horseless Carriage Club National Convention this year is going to be held March 16th to the 19th in Chattanooga, just an hour and a half south of Knoxville. So if you want to go, uh, there's a one particular day, the, the Concourse, and uh, I think that's the 18th. I have to check. And uh, come on down. The middle of March. Yeah. Well, I have read their magazine. Tracy Lesher does a good job editing the Horseless yes. Carriage Gazette. And, uh, Very so good. It's a, it's a great publication. She does a great job. So, a lot of different things going on. Uh, we were talking about... Great time, folks. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind jc taylor when it comes to car magazines are you tired of reading about mega dollar collector cars you can't afford or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you then crankshaft is the car magazine for you crankshaft is a 144 page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories the type of car features you won't find anywhere else It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. All right, we're back, so, folks. Yes. You know, you know, last week we talked a little bit about uh, brake systems and you know, just tips and tricks and so forth regarding brakes. And I happen to be thinking about one of the more neglected parts of the car, and that is belts. People don't think about it. If they're there and everything's operating, you know, it looks good, no issues, we don't touch them. I do. I generally go through and inspect all of my belts first thing in the spring. Because I've lost too many of them. It's kind of interesting. Uh, belts in general have been around since about uh, 15 BC or even earlier. And uh, the first belts were 
made of leather and chain and lots of different materials. And then when the automobile came came along, the need for better and better belts came about. The first belts back in the uh, early 1900s on automobiles were flat leather. And then some of them were made of hemp, made of rope, so on and so forth. And then in 1917, John Gates came out with the first vulcanized rubber V-belt. And the V-belt was just so far superior because it had better friction, it would hold in the pulley, it wouldn't slip off, and all of those things. So that's what we have today, and we have the standard V-belt, the cog V-belt, and then now, of course, the newer cars, but a lot of newer cars that are newer antiques have serpentine belts on them, too. Um, One thing a lot of people have over the years asked me about, and that is belt dressings. I don't use belt dressings on anything except something really early pre-war cars. You might use a belt dressing on them to improve your friction so that you don't have as much slippage, particularly if you've got a flat belt belt dressing. But, you know, if your car is set up properly and you have a good quality belt on, you shouldn't have all the slippage on a more modern vehicle. Therefore, you should not need to spray all that gook all over the belt to improve your uh, slippage issues. And the other thing that people think about, well, how do I know? I just tighten it until I can't tighten it anymore. I've watched people with these you know, three-foot-long screwdrivers prying on their alternator while they're trying to tighten the belt don't want to over-tighten the belt because that's going to end up ruining the belt, shortening its lifespan, and it puts undue stress on the bearings, not only the shafts of your water pump, but also on the alternator. So you want to get it just right. And what's the sweet spot rule of thumb for belt adjustment on V-belts? And that is you tighten it, until you can get midway and then you can push down on the belt and have three quarters of an inch of deflection. In other words, when you go to push the belt down in the center, it moves three quarters of an inch from where it was to where you put your pressure on it. Three quarters of an inch is the rule of thumb. The other thing, rotate the belt to the side and or if it's loose or off, Bend it backwards. If it shows any type of cracking, crazing, anything like that, when you bend it backwards, replace it immediately. Um, If it has chunks missing out of it, get rid of it. Um, Any type of cracks. But they'll make themselves apparent if you bend it the opposite direction of the way it's set on the car. Um, Alignment, big deal. Got to have proper alignment on your belts which means all of the pulleys have to be lined up. Like, for instance, uh, between the water pump, crankshaft, alternator. Usually it connects those three ways uh, for the alternator or generator belt. And if the bracket holding your generator or your alternator is off a bit, it's going to wear out your belt. 
you're going to end up stranded. You need to make sure that they're all lined up as perfectly as possible, that the pulleys aren't bent, that they're in good condition. Um, you'll want to make sure of that. Otherwise, it's just waiting to happen. Um, in terms of idler pulleys, you don't have a lot of idler pulleys on the earlier V-bolt cars except tensioners for air conditioning and things of that nature. But if you have an idler pulley, you need to check in. Everything is good. Uh, take the load off of it completely and spin it freely. If it's making any noise whatsoever, you need to replace the bearing in it or replace the entire pulley assembly. And you can actually feel it. If you put your finger on the bracket while you're spinning the pulley, you can feel friction in there, too, particularly if the bearings are not very good. And you, even if you can't hear it, you can feel it. It just doesn't feel right. It should be very smooth and, and want to continue operating, spinning. Um, they're cheap. It's an easy fix. But if they lock up, your belt's gone. It's history, and you're on the side of the road. So, um, uh-huh. Well, you know, if having been a uh, being a former Corvair owner, you always have to carry at least twenty fan belts in your car in the trunk because those things fly off. <laughs> and it has oh, to do yeah. with al- because if it's not aligned perfectly, they they spin off, and uh, it, it's a fairly common problem. It happened to me twice in one day, and then I realized wow. you know it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't so much the Corvair's fault, it was my fault, because it was an older belt and it had stretched. And when it stretches, it just, you know, is too much play, and it flew off. So, yeah, you got to change belts, especially when you own a Corvair, almost annually, and keep uh, two or three spares in, in, the, uh, in the trunk. So, yeah, belts are very important, no doubt. That's a great point. The air, air-cooled engines generally have a belt driving a fan, large fan. You're totally dependent upon that for all of your cooling and not to mention any other uh, accessories that could be driven off of the belt. But the heat is very significant. Uh, Those belts on those engines are really subjected to a lot of heat. So you really do need to change them out regularly. And then you've got, of course, uh, in many cases, double idler pulleys on those too so you need to check the belts on them i mean the bearings yeah (laughs) yeah it's very important and you know some of the later model cars cars from you know even in the 80s uh they have uh interference fit with the valves and with uh some of the serpentine belts i know on volvos and especially on mitsubishis and things like that uh, of the 80s and 90s uh that belt snaps those valves are going to go slamming into the uh, pistons. So cause of interference fits have to have their belts changed regularly. So beware of that. Yeah, usually about every uh, rule of thumb on timing belts is about every 60,000 miles you should go through and replace the timing belt, the idler, and typically your water pump, depending upon the configuration of the engine. But when you go in there to replace the timing belt, there, it's behind a cover, and generally behind that cover is your water pump and an idler pulley. So while you're in there, you might as well just go ahead and pony up, 
replace it all so that you don't have to worry about it for another 60,000 miles. But you're absolutely right. If you have an interference engine, which means that once the belt disconnects itself and the pistons keep going up and down and the valves keep going down, that they crash into one another. And that's a recipe for major disaster. Yep. Yep. You know, that was one of the reasons I bought my, uh, in 1998, I bought a brand new Saturn FL2. And it was the greatest, to be honest with you, the greatest car I've ever owned. Flawless. Never had a stitch of problems. And in the 90s, almost every car had a uh, serpentine or, you know, uh, timing belt. But not the Saturn. It had good old-fashioned timing chains. Never had a problem with that car at all. Chains are good. I mean, chains do stretch after a while. So you got to be careful of that as well. Oh, yeah, timing chains do stretch. Yep. Yeah, you know, got to change. And when you change that timing chain, you got to change the tensioner, which I hope is what you're doing on that ambassador. Just because you took those cylinder heads off doesn't mean you got to leave that timing chain. You got to change it. At that point, Uh, you might as well take the engine out. (laughs) Engine back. (laughs) Dirt, dirt bag. thinking about stuff like that. I'm in a cold wet. <laughs> thinking, my God, I've, I've got it taken down this far. The heads, now I went from uh, doing just a valve job to having them completely rebuilt. Now I'm thinking, gosh, you know, the timing chain, it's in there. It's bad. <laughs> I need to replace that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that car should be ready about this time next year once I get finished rebuilding the differential. <laughs> and then and then we'll drive it to the paint swap meet in Texas. How's that? Sounds good. Good. <laughs> uh, so what else is going on? Oh. You know, a lot of really great cars have been showing up lately. Uh, Craigslist. Facebook Marketplace, which again, beware of all of those. Make sure you're talking to people. Make sure you have some means of verifying these people are who they are. Uh, typically, you can do that by, you know, Google. If they're members of clubs. If you know people that live in the area, what have you, don't send any money to anybody to hold anything for you. Don't give any deposits unless you've been able to verify that person because there's so many crooks out there on Facebook Marketplace and on Craigslist and in other areas as well. Everybody's out there trying to take your money. It's not just the government anymore. <laughs> the crooks are out there to yeah. get your money too. And, um, and you know, you hate, to, you hate to say this, but if you find the car online, whether you're buying one or selling one, uh, always make sure you have somebody with you. I've heard too many horror stories of people getting robbed or things like that, or even worse. So always make sure you go to look at a car with someone else, or if someone's coming to look at a car you're selling, make sure you have a friend with you. You know, it's, it's a crazy world out there. You just got to protect yourself. 
it is a crazy world. There have been numerous instances where people have been told, okay, well, if you're coming to look at the car, bring cash because I'm not taking anything else. I'll give you a good deal for cash, yada, yada. People show up. Hey, give me all your money. But what about the car? Forget the car. Just give me the money. Get out of here. So people have lost lost their money. And, in fact, there was one couple that went to go look at a Mustang. They lost their lives uh, a few years yeah. ago. So, yeah, that's that's right. great, great advice for folks. You just can't be too careful these days. That is for sure. Sad, but true. Yep. Um, yeah. So some really, really great deals. Uh, former... We're up against a break. We'll be right back. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. All right, and we're back. Welcome back. So, just talking about some of the great cars that have been for sale lately. It's some really good deals out there. Again, people constantly mention the fact that, oh, gosh, the antique car hobby, it's only for wealthy people. I can't can't afford to be part of that hobby, so on and so forth. I can tell you, if you can afford to go out and play a few rounds of golf every month, if you can afford to just do anything in terms of leisure and vacationing and so on and so forth, there's an antique car out there to fit your budget. Uh, point in, case in point, 1921 Hupmobile Touring Car came up for sale this week. It was a former museum car. Needed some recommissioning, but in terms of condition, it was in excellent, excellent shape. $10,000 was the asking price. It, it sold almost immediately uh, when it hit uh, Facebook Marketplace, and it was a legitimate sale. I actually knew about the car earlier in the week, and had I had room and the opportunity to deal with it, I would have bought the car. But it just goes to show you, there's some really great deals out there to be had. All you have to do is be persistent 
in talking to people, joining up to the clubs, reading all these classifieds, wherever they happen to be, and uh, you could be able to find a good car for for very little money, relatively speaking, especially when you compare it to what a new car costs today. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, all too often I see a lot of ads now for uh, cars for sale where it's the widow, you know. Uh, unfortunately, you know, people are getting up in age and they're dying off and and their widow is selling the car or their, their, their children or their grandchildren and uh, a lot of people are not into old cars and they're selling them and they want to know how much the car is worth and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, always inquire. If you see an ad of interest and you might be interested in owning that car, give them a call. Talk to them. You just, you just never know. You just never know what kind of deals are out there. Well, as far as entry-level entry cars are concerned, there are just so many good entry-level cars out there. You can find a, not a pristine example, but you can find a good project Model A out there for under ten grand. You can definitely find yeah. Project Model Ts out there for under ten grand. The, the T's have a great following, the Model T Ford Club of America. They have great clubs. They go together on some great outings, tours, etc. And it's a whole lot of fun. They don't drive as well if you just want to go out solo. It's, they're great to drive with a group because, of course, there's safety in numbers because people see that you're working, driving as a group, and, you know, you don't have all the issues, plus you're re- Routes are generally planned out so that you don't end up on 55, 60-mile-an-hour highways. Um, but with the Model Model A, generally speaking, around town, they're pretty user-friendly. You can run 45 miles an hour in a Model A all day long. Yeah, you can. You really can. Uh, and every part is available, including body parts. So you just can't go wrong. Oh, the parts are easy to come by. They're easy to work on. They break down on the side of the road. If you have just minimal parts, you can fix it. Get yourself home. Get to your destination, whichever. But there's such a great deal. And you mentioned Corvairs earlier. Corvairs are yeah. still a great car at a great price. Because partly they because are so many of them. But... Yeah, I mean, you know, they are going up in, in value, uh, and rightly so. Uh, I owned a, uh, before I moved to Tennessee, I sold my 63 Corvair Monza convertible, uh, three-speed. And it was a lot of fun to drive. It just was a little tight for me, believe it or not. I found it it was more comfortable to be in my little Triumph Spitfire than in that Corvair. But, uh, you know... High on my list is a second-generation Corvette, the 65 to 69 model, and a coupe. So that's on the top of my bucket list to get is second-generation Corvette. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a coarser model. It doesn't have to have 150 horsepower. It doesn't have to have the 180 horsepower turbo engine. It could be the standard base model, 110 horsepower, four-speed uh they're beautiful-looking cars, you know, of that era with the very thin 
key pillar, and it just has great styling. Unfortunately, they have a bad reputation, but that is, you know, uh, washing away as the years go by. And people realize, wait, there's, there's a lot of falsehoods about that. It's, they're just wonderful automobiles, and they handle a lot better than people think. And like you said, they're very affordable. Oh, and there's great club support, too, as well as parts. Oh, yeah. Funny thing about Corvair yeah. people, they yeah. never own just one Corvair. You ever noticed that? Oh, no. Oh, no, you have to have more than one. It, it's the rule of the uh, Corvair <laughs> character. And when I lived in Massachusetts, I, I lived near Clark. Clark's Corvairs in Shelburne Falls. And they actually manufacture a lot of the Corvair parts out there. And they're made and manufactured to a very high standard. So there are a lot of, uh, like you said, parts are easily to find and things like that. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a very cool car. So, no doubt. Another great entry-level car for people. Volkswagen Beetles. You know, pre, yeah. uh, I, I say non-fuel-injected models. Um, what they started fuel-injecting the Beetle in 1975, I think. And they were somewhat problematic. But any of the be- early Beetles, uh, the carburetor versions. Yeah, I, I, I want a pre-68 Beetle uh, in the worst way. That's also on my bucket list along with a common gear. But, uh, yeah, again, you could get tons of parts. But the Beetle was manufactured in Mexico up until when? Like 15 years ago? So there's yeah. a gazillion parts out there. And there's all kinds of, you know, rebuilt engines that you could get over the counter. Uh, you know, well, true mail order. And relatively inexpensive. And the wheels and the interiors, everything is available. And uh, they're just so much fun to drive. Yeah. So for, you know, not a lot of money, it's not going to eat you out of house and home. There's so many great cars out there. Cars of the 40s right now are relatively reasonably priced, particularly the Dodge and Dodges and Plymouths. And, yeah, the styling's a bit conservative on them, but with those six-cylinder flathead engines, they're so dependable, easy to service, and they get good gas mileage as a separate bonus, but they're cheap to buy. I mean... Gosh, even up into the early 50s, uh, some of the Chrysler stuff, you could pick up a nice 53 Plymouth Cranbrook, a nice solid example for 2500 to 3000 bucks. Work on it, make it better, improve it as you get it driving. Drive it while you're working on it. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. And uh, it's very inexpensive. Um, gosh, there's just so many great cars out there that you can pick up I see it all the time. I saw a really great deal on a 53 Ford the other day. It was a very solid Texas car that someone had obviously bought and brought to North Carolina. 2500 bucks they wanted for that car. Wow. It needed interior and some other stuff. But, you know, in the meantime, it, it ran and it was driving. And it had, it was 98% rust-free. You could stop at a truck stop and get one of those Mexican blankets and throw it over the seat until you're ready to get it reupholstered, yeah? 
you're right. You're right. You can do that. You know, back, I guess, about, who knows, maybe 25 years ago, I had a 84 Buick Electra four-door sedan. That was the era where they had those silver-faced gauges on the simulated wood dash, you know? Yeah. And I loved that car, and, boy, I, I regret selling it. I wish I could find another one. Just so comfortable. It handled well. It rode so nice. And I just think, you know, that that chiseled styling, you know, I just think it looked, you know, uh, very attractive. So those are starting to go up in value, too, now. Those chiseled-looking oh, yeah. cars from the cities of GM. And, uh, yeah, boy, I love that car. Great time, folks. Be right back. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. While we're at a break, I want to remind everybody that America's Web Radio is running a contest for veterans. If you're a veteran and uh, happen to like AR-15s, we're giving away a brand new AR-15 style rifle. Excuse me. Go to our homepage and enter the contest. We'll be back in just a moment. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. You know, we were just good deals, and we talked about, you know, I mentioned my viewer collection from the early 80s, and 80s cars are pretty cool, uh, but... If, if you like sports cars, uh, early, early Corvettes, you know, obviously they didn't make them in 83, but the early, I guess you would say, fourth generation Corvette, is it? The C4, uh, starting in 1984. Right. You know, I mean, in 84, one had the crossfire injection, which can be troublesome, but if it's sorted correctly, it's fine. Uh, yeah, so the 80s-era Corvettes are uh, great deals. 
and they're bulletproof. You can still get parts for them for, you know, interior body parts, mechanical parts. So uh, you can still find some really good 80s-era Corvettes in good shape for under $10,000 and have a lot of fun driving that thing. No, they're they're great cars. I had Corvettes and really thoroughly enjoyed driving them. And, you know, no matter where you're at, you can find parts. <laughs> you run into an Advance or a Napa. Generally speaking, if they don't have it, you can have it overnight and uh, be back on your way. So as a consequence, they're a great car to tour in, too. So, yeah, they are. Absolutely you a great car. Speaking of 80s cars, I had an 84 Pontiac Trans Am with the T-top that, that leaked, of course. And that was a fun car. I had the uh, 305 HL engine in it. But those third-generation F-bodies from GM, the Camaros and the Fibers, those things are starting to go up in value big time. I mean, there's not many of them around that are really fine, original, honest condition because they were, you know, they were cheap cars back then. Uh, well, they were cheap after a few years. And the high school kids got them, and they beat the crap out of them, you know. So, uh there's a lot of crappy ones out there, but if you have a, if you're interested in a really interesting automobile that handles extremely well, I mean, it rides a little hard, but the uh, third generation F body from GM, those those things are going up in value big time. No, you're right, and again, it's because people find them comfortable to drive, and people have become spoiled. They like air conditioning. Power windows, etc., etc. Even though all of those cars didn't have power windows, but a lot of them did. Um, I have an '87 uh, Caprice Classic wagon, uh, Chevy wagon, and it's a great nice. car. Com- comfortable, e- easy to get parts for, easy, relatively easy yep. to work on, and nice style. It's just cool. Yep. Yeah. One of the last. Uh, full-size wagons, of course, before they, you know, came back out with the um, Buick estate wagon um, in the 90s. But this was, uh, you know, really. You know, I was thinking the other day. Yeah, you know, uh, and then there's the, the flip side. There are cars from, I guess, the 90s that late 80s, all of a sudden, you don't see them anymore. It's like they disappeared overnight. Like, whatever happened to the Neon? You know, the Chrysler... Or the Ford Probe. Yeah, and what happened to the Ford Probe? And, you know, uh, you just don't see those cars, the Mitsubishi Starion. And, uh, you know, that Neon was a hot car. It was, like, all over the place. It was like the modern-day Model A. And boom, gone. I haven't seen one in years. Are you hoarding them? Are you, the, are you the guy to be buying them all up? I mean, where are they? Well, Ford Tauruses. You used to, because they just sold so many Ford Tauruses. You used to see them right. soldiering on. But I don't even see them anymore. Of course, a lot of them had transmission issues, too, past a certain point. But, um, God, yeah, there's a lot of those cars. They just hit the uh, recyclers, and boom, they were gone. Um, I know. I I had a Ford Taurus and uh, got it from the original owner, which was a little old lady. 
And, man, that was the most uncomfortable seat of any car I've ever owned. It was awful. I mean, driving that car for 20 minutes and my back, my legs, everything was hurting. It was just very uncomfortable. I mean, you know, it, it rode well. But compared to the seats in my 240 Volvo, which I drove from Brooklyn to North Carolina, to Greenville, North Carolina, in one day, I got out of the car. I felt like I just got in it. Those seats were, I mean, they were orthopedically designed. So uh, those Volvo seats were incredible. But, yeah, you're right. You don't see uh, Tauruses anymore, just stables. A lot of those cars just totally disappeared. Although I did see a Pinto the other day on the road, which was pretty cool to see. <laughs> you know, you, you do see those. But you, you think about all those cars that have been forgotten. Uh, what about a Mercury Topaz? When was the last time you right. saw a Mercury Topaz? Huh? Yeah, it's not a bad-looking car. You know, I mean, and, and then you had the Taurus, the, uh, what was it, with the 24-valve engine? The SHO. What was that one called? SHO. Taurus SHO. Yeah. Speaking of SHO, they also did the Ford Contour, which was an incredible handling little car. I haven't seen a Contour either in 10 years. Yeah, crazy how bad things happen. No. Now, fortunately, you still see a lot of the uh, Panther platform Fords out there, the Crown Vicks. You still see them. A lot of people who bought retired police vehicles. <laughs> you see a ton of those out there on the road. Um, you know, you know that the that car is the car for you to get into a fifty-five and over community. Because when when my parents lived in a fifty-five over community in Bethpage, Long Island, it seems like ninety percent of the people there had all had, had those Mercury's. <laughs> My father had one, too, and it rode really nice, <laughs> but everybody had one. Yeah. That? yeah, I mean, so popular. I remember wanting the, uh, they came out with the Mercury Marauder uh, version of yes. those cars, and uh, I really wanted one of those. They had that cool ad on TV, um, just just a neat, neat car. You know, something that I bought that I just really, really, really love and I got a great deal on. It's not a car. I'm just so happy about it. I'm not a huge Walmart fan just simply because they've destroyed so many small town merchants. I mean, so many downtown areas have just been totally decimated by Walmarts. So for that reason... I try not to shop there, but I do shop there sometimes. You just don't have a choice. But right. they sell a roll of tearaway microfiber towels under their brand Auto Drive. You get seventy-five a roll of seventy-five microfiber towels for only fifteen bucks, and I have used the dickens out of those. And then once I've used them the first time, I save them up, I throw them in the washing machine. Now, grant you, I really? don't use them to... Yeah. I don't use them on paint surfaces once they've gotten dirty and I put them through the washing machine. But then I just use them for regular all-around everyday duty. I use them to clean windows and so forth. Um, 50 I gotta get them. Bucks. It's the 
it is a heck of a deal. And it's just so super convenient. They have a little serrated edge. You just pull them off and bingo, there you go. So I would tell everybody, Walmart microfiber towels, auto drive brand, 15 bucks. You're going to thank me. I'm going to be your new best friend once you get out there and buy those things. <laughs> I've found 50 million uses for those things. So much better than you know, using I, paper towels. Oh, yeah. You know, you got to have paper towels in your garage. Well, you know, clean up maybe. You spill your Dr. Pepper. You want to clean it up with a paper towel. But uh, I always, you know, at the big box store, whether it's Lowe's or Home Depot, I always get that bag of the red rags, you know. It's like, I don't know, under 10 bucks. And uh, those red rags are really good for soaking up oil and, uh, you know, cleaning messy parts, things like that. And uh, I always have a bag of those. But, yeah. And also, I, I, I take old T-shirts, you know, that, that don't fit anymore, old socks, and I cut them up. And I use that to uh, clean up, you know, messy oil spills. or But, you know, when you have a British in your garage, you always want to have oil spills, so you're always cleaning things up. So uh, sometimes old socks work great. <laughs> Just you know, them. as cheap as you are, I, I'm surprised you're not darning your socks. You know, you get a little hole. They can, you know, darn those socks while you're watching <laughs> reruns of Murder She Wrote in the evenings, drinking your English breakfast tea. <laughs> you know. You know, in the spring of 1998, when I went up for my interview at Hemmings, uh, the owner of the company, Terry Eric, he, you know, we were sitting in his office, and he uh, took out a pair of socks, and he was sewing them up because they had holes. And I'm sitting in this interview going, how cheap could this guy be? This guy owns Hemmings Motor News. To make a gazillion dollars, and you know, instead of throwing away his socks, I mean, he could afford to buy the entire clothing store in town, but he was, you know, sewing up his socks not to waste them. <laughs> so uh, I never forgot that <laughs> during yeah, an interview. I, I said, wow, this uh, "That's place. crazy." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I, I do have friends that lay out their paper towels after they've finished using them for cleaning windows. I, I kid you not. They lay, lay them out really? in the sun so that they yeah, dry out so they <laughs> reuse them again. I mean, but the that dirt, makes you look like a spendthrift. Yeah, that, yeah, well, it's called cheap. But the dirt is embedded in the fabric of that towel. That's not good. Unless no, you use it that's for why I... That's why with those microfiber towels I was just talking about from Walmart, I, you know, once I use them, even though I put them back through the washing machine, you know, I realize that there's going to be potentially dirt or grit in them that the washing machine's not going to get rid of, and I won't use them on any surfaces that I'm afraid of scratching. So, um, but you know, I do get to use those at least twice. But yeah, they work great. Actually, when they've gotten older. I use them to work on uh, radio refinishing. <laughs> when I'm doing wood woodwork refinishing on the antique radios, I use the old ones. So there's always another use for those things. But, yeah, yeah it's great. Um, something else I invested in, and I think you've 
got one, actually, and that is a container, specialized container for oily ra- oily rags. If you stick yeah. a bunch of oily rags together, you can end up with spontaneous combustion, burn down your garage or your, God forbid, your whole house. And yeah. for about 70 it's I think it's 75 bucks on Amazon, you can get them ever all kinds of different places but on Amazon 75 bucks for an oily rag can so that you can properly store those things if you're not you know you don't want to bunch them all up and, and throw them in the garbage because they'll 75 fire. 75 dollars are you crazy I bought a stainless yeah, steel fresh can you know a small one for the kitchen but stainless steel I got that at Walmart for like 15 bucks and that's what I use to put my uh, dirty rags in. <laughs> and it's metal. And it has the lid. Fifteen bucks. Why seventy five dollars? You're crazy. Yeah, I'd just like to, to be able to, you know, hit the you know, it's got the little foot pedal thing on it, you know, you push yeah, down on that. Fine. Lid pops up and yeah. you throw it in there. <laughs> Fifteen bucks. <laughs> Boy. Well yeah. we're getting get, gotta 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 wrap it up. Keep getting out there. Get off the couch. Get in the garage. Clean it up. Do something. Remember, if you bite off just a little bit of your project each week, you're actually going to get the work done, and you won't be selling it three years down the road because you say you don't have time to do it. So, Right. Have fun. And this weekend, folks, NFL playoff, go Detroit Lions, go Buffalo Bills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have a good week. See you, folks. Take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.